This is The Guardian. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. And so minutes after we finished the last pod and the Premier League went in two-footed on Manchester City and Leeds sacked Jesse Marsh, we'll get someone well-read and intelligent to talk us through the City story. What does it mean? Why has it taken so long? Realistically, what could the punishment be? And how long will that all take? Also today, Paul Mullins' mini Harry Kane lets in Billy Sharp. Clearly not a fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which means Grimsby are the story of the night in the FA Cup fourth round replay with victory over Luton. We've assembled a panel of EFL experts to run us through the Champions and leagues one and two and we'll take a look at what's going on at south end as we try and chip away at smaller clubs with less than ideal ownership all that plus your questions and that's today's guardian football weekly on the panel today barry glendening welcome hi max from not the top 20 podcast amongst other things george ellick hello hello good morning car parks ben fisher welcome hi max and uh, to talk us through uh, what's happening at Manchester City uh, from the Price of Football podcast uh, and uh, uh, Football Academic. Is that is that a good way to introduce you, Kieran? Kieran Maguire, hello. Morning, Max. That sounds very good to me. Perfect. Phil says, what's an appropriate punishment for Man City and why should it be replacing Haaland with Georgios Samaras? Lots of questions like this. AM says, will the loyal Foden finally get game time in the Championship? Alan, if Man City are found guilty, should their punishment be to go back to being 90s Man City? Haaland may not fit with Pep's ideal, but I'm pretty sure he could get a tune out of Niall Quinn. And Paul says, is it time to invest in an open-top bus business now? There's going to be loads backing up once City are stripped of their trophies. Um, the, the Premier League released a statement on Monday, um, uh, which had lots of numbers and letters in it. I'll read a bit of it. In accordance with Premier League rule W.82.1, everyone's favourite Premier League rule. Um, the Premier League confirms it has today referred a number of alleged breaches of the Premier League rules by Manchester City Football Club, brackets club, close brackets, to a commission under Premier League rule W.3.4. The Premier League alleges more than 100 breaches of its, of its rules, including being accused of failing to give a true and fair view of the club's financial position, failing to include full details of player and manager remuneration, failing to comply with rules regarding financial fair play and failing to cooperate in a Premier League investigation that has concluded after more than four years. Man City have denied any wrongdoing. Kieran, firstly, in really simple terms, what are they accused of? I think we can narrow it down to three things. First of all, they've been accused of artificially inflating the money coming into the club, effectively uh, disguising money from the owner as sponsorship income. And the reason why that's important is that from a financial fair play point of view, it's income, less costs, gives you your profit or loss. 
So therefore, if you inflate your income, that helps you in, in the overall calculations. So this, this relates to some of the, I think, the early sponsorship of Manchester City um, and the, the allegation, which uh, appears to have come through the, the Portuguese hacking uh, process, was in respect of tens of millions. So, so that's, that's the first issue. The second is um, deflating costs by having people on parallel contracts. So, so the one which has been quoted most frequently in the press is an allegation in respect of Roberto Mancini. He was paid a salary of £1.45 million a year from Manchester City, but he had a, another contract uh, where he was a coach stroke consultant of a club in uh, Abu Dhabi, which paid him £1.75 million for four days work. Now, the Premier League are claiming, well, well actually, this is a way of disguising his remuneration um, from Manchester City. And, and that's, that, again, helps in the FFP calculations. The third allegation is that Manchester City have dragged their heels um, in respect of providing assistance uh, in terms of the, the investigation. And they have not conducted themselves in, I think the phrase is, utmost good faith, which apparently all Premier League football clubs are supposed to conduct themselves with in all uh, actions with both the Premier League and other clubs, which um, when you see some of the shithousery taking place on the pitch, uh, <laughs> might raise an eyebrow or two. How is this different to what happened when they were accused by UEFA of broadly similar things in the case that was overturned by the Court of Arbitration for Sport? I think there's sort of uh, three main areas of difference. First of all, UEFA have a, a time bar, a statute of limitations, which says that anything more than five years old is, is inadmissible. Um, the Premier League rules have no statute of limitations. So therefore, that's why we've seen the, the charge sheet go back to 2008-9. Secondly, in respect of the evidence which can be given to the Commission, um, and my, my, my personal favourite uh, section of the Premier League handbook is, is section W80. It says, regardless of the source of the evidence, provided it is effectively reliable and relevant, it can be used by either party. So therefore, if the Premier League prosecutors decide to use some of the hacked emails, then that could form part of the evidence against Manchester City. That was less of that that was an area which Manchester City's lawyers by all accounts in the UEFA case were able to argue against it's, it's difficult to say how successfully the third issue is that there really is no there, there's, there's little chance of an appeal if Manchester City lose uh, the case and the, the commission find them guilty um, only under the most extreme circumstances um, would would an appeal be able to take place so it, it's it, it's a one-shot uh, event that we've now got between the Premier League and, and the club. City brought in the lawyer who represented them against UEFA, the big Sam of, of lawyering, Lord Panic, unless people just yelling panic around Man City and he turned up, apparently he charges five grand an hour. But 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 what's the process now? You imagine like there's all these headlines, there's all these stories, we're all talking about it, every single show is calling you and then this will go into court for years and we won't hear anything, we'll forget about it. Well, other clubs want a quick decision. Um, because you know, six into four doesn't go for Champions League places, but but five five into four goes easier. Yeah, so um, other clubs want something sorted. Those clubs that want Manchester City kicked out of the Premier League, and there's quite a few of them, because if you think about the impact that this could have on relegation, 
you know, if, if only two go down instead of three, huge implications. Will there be potential uh, you know, legal places from individual clubs who say that they have suffered as a result in terms of not qualifying for the Champions League historically? Um, you know, th- there, there could be a long list of issues here. But if, if you've got 115 charges, then presumably you need 115 defences, which even if, you, even if it takes you know, one day, to put up an individual defence, and I suspect it takes a wee bit longer. You know, that's that's 23 weeks. You've got to have time for the independent commission to be put together. Um, and uh, the, the, the KC who's in charge, he won't necessarily be sitting on the commission itself. He might just be the person that's organising it. So there's a lot of procedural issues to take place. So I think it is probably wishful thinking that we'll see something before the end of the season. Then we'll go into complete lockdown. Um, in, in terms of you know, neither party will be uh, leaking. Uh, and that was one of the accusations made by Manchester City against UEFA, that UEFA were briefing journalists. And, and that's why City said, well, they stopped cooperating with UEFA because they feel that they were uh, on the receiving end of articles appearing in the press, which, uh, which were anti-City. So it, it, it's likely to take months, um, hopefully months rather than years, uh, because you know, at, uh, at five to ten thousand pounds an hour, um, you know, e- even Manchester City's uh, pockets will be will be burned by some of the QCs involved. Kieran, you you spoke about possible prevarication by City last time round, and in their statement they said they were very surprised by these charges, not least because they cooperated so brilliantly with the investigation. And is there room for them to obfuscate and block and delay here? I don't think that they will be in a position with respect to this commission. Um, they, they by all means, might take a long time to present the evidence, but I, I think the, permission, the commission is unlikely to have any sympathy whatsoever if, if Manchester City tried to delay the process by saying we've not got the evidence because we are talking about a case which has already taken four years to, to proceed to where it is today. So I, I can't see how they can possibly use delaying tactics, um, even though the meter is running on, a, on an hourly basis. Um, it would not be in their interest because if you upset the commission, then that could have, have repercussions when it comes to making uh, a judgment. Who's on that commission? Do we know? We, we don't know. It's, it's, not been, uh, it's not been set up as yet. It's not Sir Alex Ferguson, <laughs> Jurgen Klopp, <laughs> Daniel Levy, is it? Well, if, if you if you go to the Manchester City message boards, that, that you probably <laughs> that that probably is is very much the view taken there. I, I even saw on one of the Manchester City message boards somebody saying, um, "If if we are successful in this, can we sue as fans the Premier League for for stress and loss of sleep?" <laughs> which which I thought was possibly taking it a bit far. Man City's statement, just to read it in full, says Manchester City is surprised by the issuing of these alleged breaches of the Premier League rules, particularly given the extensive engagement and vast amount of detailed materials that the EPL has been provided with. The club welcomes the review of this matter by an independent commission to impartially consider the comprehensive body of irrefutable evidence that exists in support of its position. As such, we look forward to this matter being put to rest once and for all. You mentioned finally, Kieran, relegating City or stripping them of their titles. Are they realistic punishments if they are found guilty? Or is that impossible to answer? I think stripping of titles is is highly unlikely. Um, in terms of precedence elsewhere for financial misfeasance, we, we've seen what's happened at Juventus. 
we saw what happened at Swindon Town many years ago, um, where they were denied promotion. So the potential tariffs are are endless. When again, you go to the Premier League handbook, but it's effectively finger wagging, um, fine squad caps and wage caps. And then, then we move to points deductions and uh, expulsion from the Premier League. Um, of the two, I suspect points deductions is, is more likely. We've seen points deductions for other clubs, uh, main, mainly in the uh, EFL, when they have uh, had breaches of financial fair play issues. Um, at the same time, Manchester City might be able to, to point to what happened at Queen's Park Rangers, who effectively... Uh, used uh, money from the owners to to try to get through uh, the, the financial fair play rules, and that ended up with you know with with financial punishment. So those those are the options available. Um, everybody will be watching this with uh, with vested interests because Manchester City are not popular with other members of the Premier League. We saw that. When was it eight or nine of them wrote to the Premier League saying, hurrah, this is absolutely fantastic that Manchester City have got a two year ban uh, from, from UEFA competition. So it's, it's all very unpleasant. And, and I, I don't think there's many handshakes at the Christmas party. George, do you, you maybe, maybe you know this, maybe Kieran does. Do the EFL have to accept City if they got thrown out of the Premier League? No. I mean, Kieran will know better than me, but from the reports I'm reading, um, there would be no need to. Although I kind of feel like they would be mad not to. I think it might be quite good news, uh, both for the EFL and for our podcast, if we suddenly had uh, Man City playing in the Championship next season. They could move them down to League Two, which would be fun. Wow. That would be. Then you just go, Pep, go on, Pep, stay there and do that thing that everyone says, yeah, but if you're in League Two, you wouldn't be able to do all this. That would be extraordinary. Anyway, Kieran, thank you very much. I'm sure we'll get you on again soon, um, but we appreciate your time as always. Thanks, guys. Uh, Kieran Maguire there from the Price of Football podcast uh, with Kevin Day, which is a brilliant listen. So listen to it. Batch says, how annoyed were you? Jesse Marsh got sacked after recording the previous pod. Also, if you record a pod every day, eventually will every football manager be sacked? It's a good point. Tom says, has anyone checked in on Jesse Marsh's LinkedIn? Uh, Leeds sacked Jesse Marsh. Um, they're playing Manchester United tonight. We're going to talk about it in detail tomorrow. Um, apparently, they're now looking at Raya Vallecano's coach, Andoni Areola who Sid says is completely and utterly brilliant. Uh, they're fifth in La Liga. They like to get it forward quickly, but not get it launched. There's a subtle difference. He's worked with Bielsa before, so that's interesting. Possibly Arnie Slot from Feyenoord or Ange Postacoglu. Carlos Corbran, who we'll talk about in part two, signed an extension with West Brom uh, yesterday, so they're pleased about that. Uh, Peter says, Hi Max, could you please avoid any spoilers for the Wrexham game as season two hasn't aired in the UK yet? Uh, yes, if you don't want to know the score, uh, look away now. Uh, Wrexham lost 3-1 to Sheffield United. Oh, but Ben, they had their moment, didn't they? Paul Mullin's second penalty. Yes, Paul Mullin has become uh, quite the character, hasn't he, down at, down at Wrexham? I know when they when they signed him, obviously had this unbelievable record uh, at Mighty Cambridge and uh, obviously took the, the plunge by... He was probably one of the first to, to go to Wrexham in terms of the, the project there, if that's the word for it. Um, and they obviously love him to bits. And the first penalty... It's just glorious. Just so good, smacked so stupidly hard down the middle um, <laughs> in just, yeah, divine fashion. But obviously the second one, it's not, it's not a bad penalty, but it, but it's saved. Um, and that's obviously the moment where, you know, if that goes in, it's a different game. In the end, a couple of late goals, Sheffield United go through. But nevertheless, obviously a, a great little run for, for Wrexham. Um, I do have to say, maybe I'm a bit... Uh, on Billy Sharp's side in the sense that I do struggle to romanticise with, with the Wrexham story. 
I know you alluded to earlier, but obviously Billy Sharp wasn't too pleased with the, the Wrexham celebrations, or more so, I think, the, the Wrexham build-up. Uh, he, he alluded to them talking about already playing Tottenham or potentially um, what that would be like facing Tottenham in the next round. And obviously it's Sheffield United that will have that that pleasure now. So, um, yeah, I'm probably uh, Team Billy in the uh, in the Wrexham stakes. <laughs> the best thing about the Billy Sharp interview was he was... He did this two-minute interview went, I've got a smile on my face because we're through. And at no point did he smile <laughs> at all on that. Um, which means Grimsby's the story of the night, George. And that is a great win over Luton, isn't it? A- amazing win um, for them. Um, to get the the replay, having drawn late on against Luton seemed like an, an amazing achievement. But then to go and be 3-0 up at home um, to a Luton side who are currently in the playoffs in the championship, who are in, in brilliant form, um, definitely... The, um, the party that have come off better in the uh, second divorce with Nathan Jones at the moment, um, with Rob Edwards being an incredibly popular character at the moment at Kenilworth Road. So for Grimsby to do that, it's, it's been a difficult season for them. They started the campaign really well after their promotion back out of the National League. Um, but um, there were rumours about Paul Hurst moving to Rotherham. Things took a bit of a dive. They're down in 16th now. But this FA Cup run, a trip down to the South Coast to take on Southampton, I'd say it's, it's been a... That they're a club who've been through difficult times uh, with their previous owner, new ownership, uh, the returning um, former manager, Paul Hurst, getting them out of the National League last season and now an FA Cup run as well. Yeah, so they do go to take on the most aggressive man in <laughs> Europe, uh, if he is still there Billy Sharp. Um, by the time the fifth round. <laughs> yeah, no, well, Billy's up there, but you know he's not self-proclaimed like Nathan Jones, is he? Um, uh, the FA Cup fifth round by those midweek. I don't know if it's happened before midweek, maybe it has. Um, uh, February the 28th and March the 1st those games the other game we'll see Fleetwood go to Burnley um, Fleetwood beat Sheffield Wednesday's good result for them and Burnley beat Ipswich with a late goal uh, a very late goal I watched the highlights with the uh, Radio Lancashire commentary and when Ipswich equalised it was sort of silence I mean exactly what you want from local radio commentators almost almost we wouldn't even know that the ball had gone in it was great and then when Burnley scored the winner absolutely hammered the Ipswich players for time-wasting. Oh, that'll learn you. Yeah. Or, or, or words to that effect. There's an amazing quirk at the moment where when you've got loads of EFL fans watching games on iFollow, I think quite a few haven't worked out that if their team is away, you can change the commentary. But a lot of people haven't realised this. So a lot of away fans having to sit at home and watching games with the home team local commentary and the amount of the Twitter discourse that comes out of this with the, the biased nature of... of, of uh, of the commentary is, is incredible. And actually there's a real, a real, um, I noticed this from watching all the Cambridge games during the pandemic and watching them now is that local radio commentators, you know, they really thrived off the fact that no one could actually see the action. Yeah. And when you're watching it and you're going, no, we haven't been dominating this game. We really haven't. Let's be honest. The best was during the pandemic where I think we were away to, oh, I can't remember, away to Stevenage or something and three counties radio had pressed the wrong button. And so we had like drive time on three counties just playing Phil Collins while the game was going on. It was really entertaining. <laughs> All right, that'll do for part one. Part two, let's do the championship. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So, uh, um, presuming you don't follow everything in the EFL, we'll keep it basic. Burnley are top of the championship, 65 points from 29 games. Sheffield United have 58 from 29. It is incredibly tight below them. Middlesbrough in third, Luton in fourth, both on 48. Watford and West Brom make up the playoff places. You could go all the way down and possibly make a case for even, I don't know, Birmingham going on some wild run from 18th to make it. It is ludicrously tight in the championship. We should talk first... Um, George about Burnley uh, who are sort of since game one of this season which was a Friday night game wasn't it and everyone went hang on Burnley are playing different football they've been sensational haven't they incredible yeah I um, I think on this podcast re- kind of referred to them as a bit similar to that first game that Leeds had under Bielsa where you, you look at it and you're like whoa this is this is a bit different and uh, and that's continued over the course of the of the season you know it's pretty rare that you have a team being so dominant in the championship you know it's it's mid february um they've won i think their uh 12 of their last 14 games one of those defeats came in that bizarre 5-2 defeat against uh, against sheffield united and sheffield united themselves have been dominant but still find themselves seven points behind burnley and uh, burnley have a uh, what is it a, a 17 point cushion to third uh, at this stage um yeah i mean they are playing football in, in a way that suggests to me that Vincent Company is an elite coach, an elite manager. Um, I see that with the, the rumours swirling around Pep Guardiola's future, Company is the second favourite to take over at Manchester City. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if that if that happened. Because the way that Burnley looked to play as well, it's, it's, it's not Guardiola football. It is very high intensity. It is very possession-based. But there's also a big onus on getting flair players on the ball and letting them express themselves. Whether that's Manuel Benson on the right-hand side who scored something like nine league goals from expected goals of about 2.5, just bending balls into the top left-hand corner from the right-hand channel at, at will. Anna Saruri on the left, Nathan Teller, who scored the two goals. You know, all of these really talented, technical young players and companies just breathed, breathed such confidence into them and enabled them to go and express themselves in a way that is so impressive. And you have other championship fans um, who have uh, brought up Burnley's wage bill and the fact that they have a big budget and that parachute payments help. And and yes, you know, they sold 70 million pounds worth of talent in the summer. Um, You've still got players like Jack Cork and uh, Ashley Barnes and Jay Rodriguez who are playing big, big roles in this new style of football. But I think company deserves credit for the way that he's managed to get his philosophy across, implement this really easy on the eye attacking style to such good effect and he's played a big part in that recruitment as well where they've gone to um you know the belgian league especially uh, and, and recruited incredibly well so it's one of the most impressive I, I don't think it's a great quality addition renewal of the championship but you know they belong uh, alongside leeds uh, daniel farkas norwich second time and then last season's fulham as, as the best championship sides we've seen in recent years george you talk about um vincent company being pep's heir apparent do you think he would fancy the Step down to the Northern Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a funny one where it would certainly raise eyebrows if he were to get the job after you know any time soon at the top end of the champion at the top end of the Premier League. But you have to think that if City are hit with a thirty point deduction going into next season and Pep Guardiola walks out the door, then suddenly the you know the the big name managers they may have been linked with won't be too interested in it. And I'm sure that company. Given his affinity to the club, given his affinity to the um, to the fan base, and fully in the knowledge that once they ride out this storm, if there isn't going to be an expulsion from the Premier League, he's going to still be in one of the, the top jobs in football. I'm, I'm sure he would be. Uh, you know, Burnley fans won't like me for saying it, but um, but yeah, I, I would have thought he'd jump at the chance. 
I was just going to say, I feel like we should give Connor Rab- Roberts his uh, magnificent moustache <laughs> mention as well. I believe he's going to uh, believe he's going to stick with it until Burnley lose, which so it could be a while yet. And uh, Roberts, being the very sort of self-deprecating, modest character, he said Burnley's recent run has been fairly decent. So uh, yeah, no, they're doing a great job there. A lot of people will have only seen Sheffield United play these games against Wrexham, Ben, and go, "Well, hang on, how are they second in the Championship?" But they have got, a, you know, they've got a bit of a cushion themselves. Seems it seems unlikely. It's obviously still time that that, that they'll get caught. They're, how good are they? Yeah, no, I think it will be Burnley and Sheffield United, sort of as, as dull as maybe that that sounds or will be. Um, Paul Heckingbottom has, has done a very good job, a different job to Vincent Company. But again, I suppose you, you can't ignore the sort of recent history, recent past at Sheffield United. That those massive highs under Chris Wilder, um, Paul Heckingbottom, probably not. You know, maybe seen as a bit underwhelming in some quarters as an appointment for a top championship club, but I think he's done a superb job. I suppose it's hard to get too excited given there is a, a decent uh, level of player at his disposal. You know, Sander Bird's still there. You know, still lots of players on, you know, reasonable money. And I think they are where you'd expect them to be, whereas perhaps Burnley, it's even more impressive because of the turnaround and the turnaround in not only players, but the turnover sort of style of play as well. And crucially, they've got Ollie Norwood, who gets promoted in every single season that he plays in the Championship. So, um, yeah, no need for any analysis there. It's a, it's a hack, isn't it? Uh, Michael Carrick is doing a great job at Middlesbrough, isn't he, George? Incredible job. Um, you know, he came into a side who are massively underperforming. You can kind of lump them and West Brom into the same category, where you had two clubs who were expected to be right at the top end of the Championship, um, who had decent wage bills, who'd invested well in the summer. And with Chris Wilder and Steve Bruce in charge, you know, two experienced managers, regardless of what you think of the two of them, who've achieved promotion out of the championship before. And both of them had terrible starts, but they were massive, massive data outliers where all the expected goals tables, all the underlying numbers tables had them as top top six clubs when actually the fans were seeing something different and they were, you know, down towards the bottom end of the table. So for Corboran and Carrick, it felt like a good job for them to come into where expectations were low, performance levels were fairly high and the squad and, and the, the wage bills they had at their disposal were, were pretty high as well. But you can't deny that Carrick has done you know, what he's done there in terms of galvanise a group of players. He's come into a, a club I, I can't imagine he knew a great deal of the squad before. He's promoted um, a player called Hayden Hackney, who actually the, the caretaker boss before him brought into the side. Uh, a basically untried, untested central midfielder who's now a focal point of their side. Shifted Ryan Giles back from uh, left wing to left back, where he's been a revelation this, uh, in, in the in the time since. Chuba now top scorer in the championship, playing a, a number 10 role, um, having not scored that many goals before he came in. Just every, he seems to have that Midas touch where everything he does seems to work. Um, and yeah, I do think it will be Sheffield United who finish in second behind Burnley. But if there's a, a team who have the, you know, who will be breathing down their necks if their form is, do, does slide, you have to think it's going to be Borough. Uh, Luton, Watford, a fourth and fifth, which would be some playoff semi-final if it happened. Barry, who is the Watford manager? <laughs> um, Slaven Bilic. Oh, very good. <laughs> I had to Google. Did you? No, I just answered without... <laughs> yeah, I know, but I, maybe you've done some research for this pod. I don't know. I was just thinking, I do research for <laughs> that every was my, pod, but, uh, well, I know checking who the Watford manager wasn't part of my research. <laughs> I, I know um, who it is. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been entirely surprised if you told me, no, he was sacked a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> or, this, or this morning. It's a good point. They're plodding along nice. I mean, his fifth good, playoffs is good for Watford, is it, Ben? Or should they be pushing a bit higher? 
I think given the, the sort of monstrosity of the start of the season they had, it would be it would be okay, it would be acceptable. And I, I do think once they're in there, they I think they're strong. I think the squad is strong. Bilic, you know, knows the league very well. Um and I think just because of the way the the, the top two have pulled away, I you know, I think anything more is gonna be nigh on impossible. So yeah, I think given the start they've had, you you'd have to take it. Uh at the start of the season, I think they would have wanted to to have been in those top two. Um but I think Billich has done a pretty sound job, to be fair, since since he's gone in there. And uh, I really like him as well. So I'd like to see him do it. Like I said, George, it's so tight below that. I mean, who of those sides in that, you think about it, you know, West Brom on 44 points. You go out to Reading in 16th on 38, you know, just what's that, six points behind. Like it's incredibly tight. I don't know out of those sides who you think could, is more likely to sustain a, a, a realistic push for the playoffs. I think there, there are some interesting ones in there. Um, Norwich under David Wagner have, have looked a far better side um, with him there, despite the fact they were dispatched 3-0 at Carrow Road by, by Burnley last weekend. Um, I think his arrival at the club will give them a bit of an identity that they've lacked uh, earlier in the season under Dean Smith. It certainly galvanised the fans and it wouldn't surprise me if they went on a little run. Um, Sunderland have had a nightmare with injuries. Um, their top scorer, talisman Ross Stewart, was injured. For quite a lot of the first half of the season, he's now out till the end of the season, somehow managing to score double figures of goals despite seemingly being injured for the whole campaign so far. Um, Joe Galhart has come in on, on loan from Leeds, who you think will be a very good signing. And they've got this brilliant array of, of attacking players, as I'm sure Barry will, 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 will agree. And Jack Clark, Ahmad Diallo on loan from Manchester United, Patrick Roberts, Alex Pritchard. They're one of the funnest teams to watch. And, and in Tony Mowbray, they've got a manager who I think is pretty good at, at just enabling those players to go out and express themselves. The loss of Stewart is a massive blow. The loss of Ellis Sims, who's gone back to Everton uh, after his loan spell, is is a blow as well. Um, You do kind of feel like if they hadn't had such difficult injuries um, up front, then Sunderland would probably be much closer to it. And then the kind of joker in the pack that no one seems to be talking about at the moment are Hull, who are in 12th at the moment um, with a, a negative seven goal difference, but on 40 points and only... What, four points off the playoffs. Um, the Shotter Avaladze did not do a good job in his time at Hull. Um, it felt like they invested pretty well in the summer um, and they just had a far better squad than a manager. Um, they are perceived, I think, of, of not being one of the big hitters in, in the championship, despite Ashan Ishalali, uh, their Turkish Simon Cowell, as he's known, owner, um, you know, having certainly putting some money behind the club. And since Lima Senior's come in, a few weeks ago, they've looked far, far better. Aaron Connolly, a really good addition up front. They've got Malcolm Ebiove on loan from Palace as well. They're in really good form. And I, I do think they could be the kind of side that are, are putting it all together at a good time to make a late run. I, I have a question for you, Max. Okay, here we go. Who's the Wigan manager? And uh, Hang on a second. It it was Colo Torre, wasn't it? Wasn't he sacked the other day? <laughs> oh, he was, yes. I missed so- that. So, oh, okay. So now who's the Wigan manager? I imagine it's Paul Jewell again, but you yeah, know. I, Sean Maloney, <laughs> but I, I was expecting you to say Colo Turi just because his sacking went completely <laughs> right. um, below my radar. I feel like there's a nice segue f- from the Wigan chat because um, there's a great moment on Monday when Blackburn played Wigan in the highly, hotly anticipated Monday night football that is, is Blackburn Wigan. And um, they, they panned to the crowd sky. It was a sky game. And they showed uh, Lee Camp stood in, uh, sat in the stands, and they, they captioned him as Eduardo Barizzo, who's the Chile manager. <laughs> and I just thought that is most definitely Lee Camp. Lee Camp. 
It was the first time I think I've seen Lee Camp since I saw him in uh, <laughs> in a waterfront uh, pretentious bar in Bournemouth. So great to see him again, but uh, it was most definitely him and not the Chile manager. So, uh, but also he, he he looks nothing like the Chile manager as well, like at all. Uh, he just he just looked quite Chilean with his with his nice long flowing locks sitting in the stand. <laughs> was he there to run the rule over Ben Brereton Diaz? <laughs> How pretentious can a bar be in Bournemouth? I mean, I suppose it's, oh, very, very yeah. nice. It's quite nouveau riche, isn't it? As well, be quite new money on Bournemouth Pier. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice view, but very expensive. Right, fair enough. And was I mean, what was Lee Camp doing? Was he having a quiet drink, or was he sort of do it, knocking back the Jaegers? No, he was most. It was a, a mid afternoon, I believe. Must have been a oh. post training visit. I think the might. I don't want to sort of. Uh, What's the word? I don't want to incriminate. Uh, incriminate, uh, yeah, or Charlie Daniels, who I believe was there with him. But um, I saw I saw Charlie Daniels in my local butcher about two months ago. All oh, right, what was he getting? He's, get, he's getting around, isn't he? Uh, he was behind me. Oh, right, okay. So on a on a so on a I, different I podcast, saw... Charlie Daniels is saying George Alec <laughs> was picking up, you know, yes, a kilo of chops. <laughs> I got a taxi once with uh, and uh, Charlie end, Daniels. Well, at the end of the at the end of the journey, this nice chat we chatted about football went. Oh, I'm Charlie Daniels' dad. Um, so there we are. It's the end of my Charlie Daniels anecdote. Anything to add on this, Barry? I want us to swiftly move on. No, I've I've nothing, nothing in my Charlie Daniels. So look, we're going to bottom level on points with Blackpool. Blackpool have a game in hand. Huddersfield a point above them, um, and then Cardiff, and above them Rotherham, Stoke, Birmingham, Bristol City. Uh, ben, how would you survey the bottom three, and and who else might drop into that equation? Very worried about Cardiff. Um, I've seen them a couple of times live this season. I saw them against Leeds most recently, and obviously I know it's a cup game, but um, they've changed manager again. Uh, Mark Hudson was sacked. Steve Morrison, they sacked earlier in the season. Sabri Lamucci's gone in, who was at Forest, and who I quite like, actually. I think he's quite an impressive appointment, especially considering where they are. Sol Bamba, obviously Cardiff legend, has gone in as assistant. So that that, on the face of it, looks pretty good. But the reality is, what you know, the 16 games to go... Um, they don't score many goals. The squad is just a total mishmash. They brought in nigh on 20 players last summer, I think 17. Um, lots of those haven't really worked or ha- haven't done it. A couple have done okay. Um, and they're just, yeah, they're what, two points above the bottom three. I- I'd be concerned about them. I just think as a club, it feels very stale. It feels very flat around the place. I don't know. I'd just be worried that the what direction that's heading in. Um, but I'd have to say, to, to caveat that, I do think Lamucci is a, is a good get. It's just, I suppose it's all on him. I mean, he can't work miracles, but um, yeah, I mean, he's probably a, a better appointment than Morrison or Hudson. And maybe they lost a lot of time with, with respect to those guys in terms of um, what they could get out of the team. It's been a shambles in terms of their recruitment in every facet. Um, you know, Steve Morrison was entrusted uh, and I'm not, I'm not arguing that he shouldn't have been, but I feel like when you, when you pick your pretty untested manager he seemed to have quite a big say in recruitment in the summer um, and then sacked him a couple of months into the season when they were quite far away from the relegation zone you have to wonder what the strategy is if, if that's the way you're going to go about your business um, I think Lamucci is a, is a pretty good get uh, they probably have enough quality in the, in the squad to to, to improve um, with, a, with a manager like him at the helm but uh, yeah I mean there are massive red flags in my mind about the way the clubs run alright well that'll do for the championship uh, part three we'll do leagues one league two and a bit of what's going on at South End everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So League One looks like this. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, Plymouth both have 61 points. Bit of a jump down to Ipswich in third on 55. Derby County, Bolton Wanderers, Barnsley make up the rest of the playoff picture with Peterborough, disappointingly. Uh, Wickham, Shrewsbury uh, in uh, contention. There's a bit of a gap down to Portsmouth. We'll talk about the bottom in a second. I'm nervous about it. Um, but look, Wednesday, Darren Moore's done a great job, hasn't he, Ben? And uh, and Plymouth have done really well after, was it Ryan Lowe left and his assistant stayed on and they've, they're doing incredibly well too. Yeah, Stephen Schumacher was sort of promoted to the top job at, at Plymouth. He's, he's done brilliantly. Lost to Sheffield Wednesday uh, last time out. Um, as you say, Darren Moore doing just an incredible job at Sheffield Wednesday. Especially, you know, the club was viewed and probably by many people listening, I think, hang on a minute, this Sheffield Wednesday were a bit of a basket case and, you know, how's this happened? But they're top of the league flying um, still have a game in hand on, on Plymouth. Um, the attendances are incredible, as we'll have to say that on Saturday against Plymouth, uh, north of 33,000 at Hillsborough. You know, whether you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan or not, that's pretty powerful stuff. Look, you know, just, just brilliant um, for the EFL. And, and Darren Moore, as we know, is probably one of the nicest people in football. But um, great clip of him, very heartwarming clip of him clapping along to... Um, hi-ho Sheffield Wednesday pre-match and giving a little fist bump to a young mascot or fan which is you know just brilliant and um, but but you know aside from that and being a nice guy he's doing a superb job I remember going to Sheffield Wednesday Derby uh, had to had to look remind myself I can't believe it. it was May 2021 when Wednesday went down mad game three all at Pride Park Derby survived Rooney was in charge that day and Darren Moore hadn't been in it Wednesday very long at all I remember after the game, him speaking, he was just so calm. And he, it was sort of the opposite of a demeanour of a guy whose team had just been relegated. And at the time, I'll be honest, I was a little bit sceptical. I thought, is he the right man to bring this club up? Obviously, a club with a lot of baggage back up. But fair play to him. He's done a you know superb job. Um, there's a few survivors from both of the teams that, uh, that day. Uh, obviously, Barry Bannon still uh, very much in a Sheffield Wednesday shirt. But yeah, Sheffield Wednesday and, and Derby. Uh, well, yeah, since uh, in those last sort of challenging couple of years have, have done brilliantly. I feel like Barry Bannon is too good for League One. A bit like Conor Hurahan, right, at Derby as well. That like, doesn't seem like you should be... It's like when we had Wes Houlihan in League Two. Not really fair. Um, sort of like a ringer in Sunday League. Look, below Sheffield Wednesday and Plymouth, George, you've got Ipswich and Derby, both with interesting and good managers. Um, I think Paul Warner's, you know, who came from Rotherham, has been so good. And is a brilliant bloke as well at Derby and Ipswich as well. Although they were held by mighty Cambridge last time out. <laughs> it's a really weird one with with Ipswich, where there's no denying that when you watch them play, you think they this has to be the best team in in the league. But you look at the league table and it tells a different story. They've had countless games this season where they've dominated the opposition and and, and failed to make that uh, into a win. There was one ridiculous game against Lincoln away where they. Um, I think Lincoln completed 65 passes in the te- in, in the whole game. Uh, uh, they, only, they had 10 men and, and it was a one-all draw. Um, and Kieran McKenna, you know, I personally think he's a manager destined probably for the Premier League. But Ipswich fans understandably are saying, well, hold on, we've got the, the 
best squad supposedly in the league doesn't matter if we're you know if, if we look good on the eye if, if we're not going to get promoted automatically now the, the big thing in this league one promotion race is that although you've got you know the top two looking like they're clear um Plymouth Argyle have lost their keeper Mike Cooper um who ruptured his ACL in the game against Sheffield Wednesday on, on Saturday no I think he's probably the most important individual player to one team in the whole of the EFL. He's, he's a Premier League goalkeeper playing for Plymouth, Plymouth Argyle. Um, if you look at all the shot data, all the... Ex- Why was he playing? Why is he playing for them? He's, he's a product of the Youth Academy who will soon... Right, okay. Um, right, okay. And he is... Uh, yeah, if you look at all the, all the data, like... You know, Argyle's XG against is is towards the bottom of 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 League One, and he, you know, if you look at the shot stopping stuff, he's out comes out on top by absolutely miles. So without the player that you know Schumacher after the game said our best player, our keeper is out, and it's not too often I think you'll find managers saying that their best player is their keeper, especially teams who are at the top end of a, of a league. So that I think could open things up quite a lot with Ipswich hosting Wednesday on Saturday in a massive game. I think both Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday will be happy that even though they um, went out of the FA Cup, they avoided extra time last night. And then Derby are the ones who you have to think that if Paul Warner had been there since the start of the season, they'd probably be in that mix up at the top as well because they are relentless. And David McGoldrick, who hadn't scored a career hat-trick uh, up until this season, now has three in his last 13 games, age 35. Wow, that's a that's a great stat, isn't it? I just remember him just missing bagfuls of chances for Sheffield United. So good to see <laughs> he's scoring goals. Uh, um, at the bottom, Forest Green, Duncan Ferguson at Forest Green, Barry, is, it's great, isn't it? I mean, he's got such a job on his hands. Yeah, um, and I think everyone is interested to see how he'll get on. I think most people would like to see him do well, but he's got off to a bad start. The I'm not sure how they lost their they they were a goal up in his first game in charge and conceded two very late goals to lose and uh they've lost at least one since as far as I know. So I think he still has to get a win under his belt. But um yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how he gets on. Barry, did you see the interview with him when he first joined? I've seen a couple of interviews with him. Um yeah, there was a quite an awkward uh, exchange something to do with vegan burgers and, and uh, the the environment in general. So, but he seems to be on board on message anyway. I think uh, are, are, are chips vegan is one of the great uh, questions that he asked during that. <laughs> <laughs> and also, uh, the world is heating up was his response to whether or not he's aware of the of what's going on at the uh, in terms of the environmental uh, element of Delvince's ownership. You can't argue with it, can you? No, no. Factually correct. There are other strikers of his vintage who might not necessarily agree with him. You're <laughs> <laughs> probably right. Or at least sort of number 10s. So you're, you're absolutely right. Um, so look, uh, Forest Green are on 21 points from 30 games. Uh, second bottom are Cambridge United, 26 points from 28. Accrington, 26 points from 27. Should be 25 uh, after last night against Port Vale, where... Quite ridiculous, actually. Um, George, you posted this in the group, didn't you? That that Port Vale got a penalty. Like, Port Vale basically scored. But there was a handball about half a second before the ball was in the net. And the ref somehow managed to give a penalty in a straight red. And they missed the penalty. And that, when you're down at the bottom, when you're another team down at the bottom, is annoying. I think, I mean, the best way to des- to kind of describe for those who haven't seen it is it's it's Asamoah Jean and, and Luis Suarez, apart from the fact that a Ghana player would have headed the ball over the line, but it was the, the goals then disallowed and they missed the penalty as, yep. as Jean did. Um, in my mind, 
I was thinking about this this morning, walking walking in. Like, surely that should be a goal and a red card. Do you not think? Because you know, even if he's done the, you know, if you go in and clatter someone uh, with a leg breaker and then someone rolls the ball in afterwards, just because they've scored from the, from that phase of play doesn't take away from the fact that it's uh, you know that the offence is there. I mean, we need a referee on here. Where's uh, mm. Where's Dermot Gallagher? But <laughs> where's Peter Walton to just agree with all of us? You're right. Anyway, look, look, it's a really important. <laughs> every point matters at the bottom. You've got Cambridge, Accrington, Morecambe. Uh, I was reading about Morecambe's ownership. It is really confusing. Um, I, I don't know, Ben, if you can... I mean, you can't surmise that in a minute, but do your best. No, I mean, well, there's a, basically, in short, there's a 20-year-old who is uh, thought to be very close to a takeover. Since then, in the last couple of weeks, the, there's more and more question marks have been raised uh, about him and the sort of legitimacy of, of where his money's come from. And he's not the only one. There's a couple of clubs at the moment where, the same probably should have said at Sheffield United, where it's very hard to see... Uh, sort of footprint in, in Sheffield United's case it's supposedly sort of a billionaire airline owner <laughs> there's literally no sort of online footprint or carbon footprint or evident of uh, evidence of his business and it's kind of the same at Morecambe where I mean, there's a 20 year old who a couple of weeks ago I was led to believe was very very close to wrapping up a, a deal for the club and I think it's, it's still a strong chance of it happening but I think the EFL are have their hands full with various uh, ownership issues. And even at Birmingham, there's still an investigation into what's going on there. So there's lots of clubs in the EFL at the moment where fans are concerned about their clubs and rightly so. Um, uh, let's quickly wrap off League Two. Leighton Orient are top on 60 points. Stevenage have 56. Carlisle in the other automatic promotion spot uh, with Northampton, Salford, Mansfield, Stockport making up the playoff places. Incredibly tight. You could go all the way down to 15th and Doncaster for the playoffs at the bottom. Rochdale are below Gillingham uh, with Hartlepool, Crawley and Harrogate, maybe Newport in trouble. Is League Two, Ben, going as, you know, is anyone a total shock? It seems surprising to me that Stevenage are, are doing that well um, from the last time I was watching League Two. Yeah, I mean, well, Steve Evans is, is a sort of manager of the season territory for what he's done at Stevenage in, in the turnaround. Obviously, they had that great, great win at Aston Villa a few weeks ago in the Cup. Um, it's kind of cherry on the cake of a just superb season I mean lifted them away from trouble last year uh, and they're well on course for automatic promotion this um, Carlisle a, a very good story in their own right as well I think Paul Simpson a couple of years ago um, had to have some time out from the game while he was at Bristol City as an assistant coach um, had kidney cancer I believe he's from the area and Carlisle has gone back there played for the club and again, a bit like Steve Evans, he lifted them away from trouble last year, ensured they stayed up. I think they finished 19th, 20th. Um, and they are, what, third in the division, won the last four. So, yeah, they're in a really good place. Orient at the top of the league under Richie Wellins had hints of a wobble, I suppose, of late. But I think he's a really good manager, sort of proving himself again, knows the division well. Uh, hasn't always worked for him at, at previous clubs, but uh, he's got them um, heading in the right direction. And I suppose, to answer your question, the Top seven is probably clubs you'd expect to be there. Bradford just outside. Maybe people expected a little bit more from Stockport. Uh, spent a lot of money. Very ambitious after coming up. But generally, I would say it's as you as you would expect. George, go with that. Yeah, I mean, it's always difficult to with League Two. Um, it is a proper league where you know you can get clubs like Barrow, who were favourites to finish bottom, um, ending up being in, pretty comfortably in the top half. Stevenage, another one like that. Um, I would say that there's always this idea where because clubs coming out of the National League have been able to to spend um, bigger due to the lack of financial constraints. Certainly, in previous seasons, it was the same as Salford. It's it's the same as Stockport this season. I think people maybe just miss 
there's a, a misrepresentation uh, of the gap in quality between the top end of League Two, certainly, than than um, than the top end of the National League. Although no club has ever been relegated out, uh, in their first season back in the EFL, haven't been promoted from the National League, which is quite something. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's still very tight in that top seven. There are still, as you say, 15 teams that could finish in it. Let's talk about Southend United, relegated from the Football League in 2021, currently sixth in the National League, doing okay on the pitch. All isn't well off it. James Schooley is from the Save Our Southend campaign. James, thanks so much for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. You've had to start a Save Our Southend campaign, which indicates things are not going well. Why have you had to start it? Um, I mean, we we kicked off back in um, 2021, um, I think, as far as I can remember. I don't know if... Uh, you guys had your ears to the ground with it, but at the time that Phil Brown was sacked for the second time after a, a 4-0 defeat at home to, to Chesterfield, um, that was when things really kind of ramped up for us as we were sitting precariously just above the relegation zone in the National League. And obviously at that point, you're talking about potentially uh, uh, three consecutive relegations from League One down to National League South. Um, you know, pretty bad atmosphere at that point. But yeah, we we, we kind of carried on since then and 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 finding that that we need to be pushing alongside the Shrimpers Trust at the minute for for new ownership eventually. Right, your your chairman is Ron Martin. Apparently uh, he's got until March the 1st to make a payment to the HMRC of 1.4 million pounds according to reports in the mail, which is an extraordinary amount of money for a team in the National League. What is you know, who is Ron Martin and and how would you how would you say he, he has been as a chairman? Oh, how long have you got? Ron Martin uh, is an Essex-based property developer. Now, he came into the club in 98. He, he has a 50% holding in a company called Southeastern Leisure, um, which took over the club, 70% of its shares in the late 90s. I remember the first plans for a new stadium under Ron Martin being published around 2000. And here we are, obviously... 22, 23 years later, uh, and in some respects, we feel no closer to it actually happening. Now, Ron, I think, admitted that when he first came to the club, he didn't particularly like football. Um, he has, uh, he says, fallen in love with the game since then and fallen in love with the club. Um, however, many of us still believe that despite him having an affection for the club, we are still a vehicle for his property development dreams and uh, the big wad of cash that he's going to make eventually. Southend have faced winding up um, offers in the recent past. Ron Martin has met all those payments. Um, the the Southend Echo confirmed last week office staff members still waiting to be paid for December and January. Um, something that your chief executive, Tom Lawrence, confirmed, saying that we're hard, working hard to resolve it. We're grateful to our staff for their patience. We believe we're close to being able to remedy the position. Also confirmed the club has fallen behind on a payment plan to St. John Am- St. John's Ambulance. Uh, we've fallen behind on a payment plan for that. We're communicating with them. Um, we hope to be able to get back on track. St. John's will be providing cover for the next match. I mean, how nervous are you that South End might cease to exist very soon? More nervous, I think, than I've ever been. Um, we know that he has managed to pay these bills off in the past. And to a certain extent, I think he has to because he's not one of those owners, um, I don't believe, many of us don't believe, who you know, he's taking money out of the club, um, who's looking to um, cause it to cease to exist. But he has tied it up so much in his own future success off the back of the property development that he needs us, I think. You know, we, we owe money all over the place, HMRC, players and staff. Um, you mentioned St. John's Ambulance. There's various suppliers who 
supply catering to the uh, Roots Hall on a Saturday that we haven't paid either. So, you know, the fan experience is going down the drain. Roots Hall is literally falling to pieces. I mean, it's verging on being a, a health and safety hazard now. So it's kind of been backed into a corner where we need to move to the new stadium as well um, before the place falls down. So it, it, it and he... He released a statement. I don't know if, if if any of you read it, but the most recent statement he released from the club said that he hoped to get the bridging finance in place to pay the HMRC debt, but he couldn't give a timescale as to when that money would arrive in the club. So that obviously has everyone panicking that it's not going to arrive in time for this hearing that's marked as final on the 1st of March. And, you know, if we don't pay that money, we face the real prospect of, of being wound up. Whenever we talk to, you know, and we've talked about Macclesfield and Berry, and like fans of every other club think, oh, well, it's not, you know, your first thought is it's not us, you know, like for lower league fans, for smaller clubs. And I, and, and it's, it's hard to articulate quite what a football club means to a town like Southend, does it? You know, I mean, like, like it's, I, I can't, I, I don't know, you can probably say it better than I do, but it feels like that's a really crucial part of this place. It is absolutely. It's um, you know, it's a pillar of the local community. It's um, you know, it does some excellent things in the community with local kids, with um, those with uh, additional needs. Um, so, in, in that aspect, it's an important part of the community. It's been here for well over a hundred years, and it feels sometimes like uh, Mr. Martin tramples all over that. And um, it, it feels as well to me that, especially with all of the mispayments to various suppliers and, and whatnot, that the, the club's standing and reputation, um, both in football and in the business world, is just as far in the gutter as it could be at the minute. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, obviously our concentration at the minute, of course, is on hopefully getting through the end of the month, fingers crossed. But after that, um, the pressure needs to stay up to to at least get a, an exit plan and a timetable, as it were, from Ron Martin, because we don't, I think he believes that, the new stadium is the light at the end of the tunnel. It'll all be hunky-dory once we're in there. The light at the end of the tunnel to us is that and him being gone. I, I don't think he can redeem himself here. He probably thinks he can, but he's damaged the club to the extent now that we need a, a fresh start badly. So, you know, that's a long-term aim. Do you have any dialogue with him? At the moment, no. Um, he has very much gone into hiding. He doesn't come to games at the minute. He um, defers everything to Tom Lawrence, CEO, who's done a remarkable job, by the way, to, um, yes, people are going unpaid, but it, the balancing he's doing is at least stopping games from being postponed as things stand. But it's uh, it, it's difficult to get any any dialogue with him. He's, he's taken a step back. Um, he's very... You know, back in the days where we had a bit of success, obviously with him, he was very happy to walk around the the the, the pitch and lap up the applause of the of the fans. But when things get a bit tough, he's uh, he's gone hiding. We are trying to post some questions to him, but it, it's very difficult to kind of pin him down at the minute. Listen, James, good luck with it. Um, and I think I, every football fan, wherever they are, will 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 agree with that. That you know, it is vital that our football clubs stay in business, and it is always depressing when we hear. One might be on the brink. So look, good luck and we will keep in touch for sure. Thanks, mate. Thank you, guys. Much appreciated. James Schooley there from the Save Our South End campaign. Uh, Ron Martin's most recent statement, by the way, says, I remain committed to delivering the bridging finance 
which will fit the funding gap caused by successive relegations and loss of income during the pandemic. The money owed to HMRC is a legacy debt accrued during the period of the pandemic. Those bridging funds will in part be applied against the HMRC debt with a view to withdrawing the petition. Whilst I'm not currently able to outline precise timings, I am conscious of the fans' concerns and will look to provide a further update as soon as is practical. Uh, All right, that'll do uh, for today's pod. Just one question from Tom. Who would win in a fight? One Subaru-sized Trevor Nelson or 100 Trevor Nelson-sized Subarus? Thank you. Uh, Appreciate those uh, and all your sympathy for my missing car. Uh, But for the time being, uh, thank you, Ben. Thank you. Thanks, George. Thank you. Cheers, Barry. Thanks. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.